he, he talks about at the end of chapter 1 how God has made himself known to people even if they haven't heard about Jesus, even if they haven't heard about Abraham, that people can know that there is a God uh, by essence of how he works in nature and other manners. Um, but he also talked about how even knowing that there was a God, they went against their consciousness they, and, or their conscience, and they went against the things that they, they knew were wrong, and God handed them over to that. And, and then in chapter 2, we get to where he begins to talk about judgment and how there is a right kind of judgment and a wrong kind of judgment, and God is a righteous judge, and he always judges correctly. And he, he reveals that a way that God judged and made his judgment known to us was by giving us the law. The law being, um, of course, the Ten Commandments, but on a broader uh, way of thinking, if you were to go back and look at the first five books of the Bible, uh, there would be a lot in there that was considered the law. And so um, in that, Paul is telling the people, yes, there is a God. Yes, he has revealed himself to us through the person of Jesus, through God himself. And there is an expectation of holiness that God has in order to be in a relationship with him. However, even um, though we knew that there was a God and we knew that there was a right way to live, we went against that. And God is bringing judgment. And just to clarify that we've done wrong, he gave us the law. He gave us the law, these rules, so that we could all see that none of us have kept those rules. In fact, just this week, um, I had uh, an interesting conversation with someone who I'd never met before. And um, they had found a coin with the Ten Commandments on it. And in finding that, they were at Ben Garen Park, and at finding that coin... um, God started convicting them of all the ways they had broken the Ten Commandments. And if you don't know the Ten Commandments, um, how many of you have ever told a lie? Okay, just Mason. All right, awesome. No, all of us, right? And so um, we have all broken that commandment, and many more than that probably. But um, as far as the Ten Commandments go, we've at least broken that one. Uh, I know that you all honored your mothers and fathers perfectly, so we don't have to worry about that. Um, Although John Michael did come up behind me earlier and punch me in the rear end. And so he's out on that one uh, in the middle of church, I should add. Um, But we have all sinned, and when we get into Romans chapter 3, that's actually um, what we begin to see is that no one is righteous. And that's actually quoting the Old Testament, but none, none of us, none of us are righteous. And if you were to look at some of these verses in these first few chapters of Romans, some of them are the most popular verses in the Bible, uh, some of the most well-known verses. Uh, For example, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so when we see a verse like that, if, if we were to read and Romans and stop there, that would be bad news. We've all fallen short of God's glory. Uh, however, he begins to talk about faith and how Abraham was justified by faith. 
It was counted to him as righteousness because he had faith. He believed in God. He trusted God, and his actions revealed that trust. And we, we see this faith playing itself out. Pardon me. We see this faith playing itself out in Romans chapter 4, and, and then we get to Romans chapter 5, verse 1, and he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, since we have been made right with God, made just by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This verse summarizes everything we're going to be looking at in this whole chapter. Since we have been justified by faith, we have been made right with God by believing and trusting in Him. It's not any work that we've done. It's not because we were good enough. That's not how we were made righteous. We were made righteous because we trusted that Jesus was able to make us right with God. And the way that Jesus was able to make us right is He, he came to this earth, and he lived a life without sin. He never sinned. And even though the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, it gives us one exception. And that's where Paul is, is focusing on now, the one exception being Jesus. Jesus never did wrong. He never sinned. And in doing so, he didn't deserve any punishment. And if next week we will get to a point where we see that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And what we see there is that the wages of sin is death. Well, Jesus never sinned, and so he never deserved death. And yet, he willingly went to the cross for our sake. He willingly went to the cross to take our punishment, the punishment that we owed, right? So, John Michael, there might be some repercussions for um, punching me, Anybody want to take that punishment for him? No one's volunteering? Randy, you kind of played with your hair. I'll take that as a volunteer. Uh, no, I'm just playing. But Jesus, he did that. And, and I'm just picking about John Michael. He won't get in trouble for that because I'm a pushover. But, um, but we have done way more egregious things. And Jesus had to pay the ultimate price in order to pay our debt. The wages of sin is death. So what debt did we owe? We owed our lives. And Jesus was willing to pay that debt for us. And we, we see that, and that's the way that we have been made right with God, is by having faith in God, in Jesus. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2. Through him... We, also, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, I had to make a decision of, am I going to pull a Jonah here, and like I did in Jonah, and um, cover this chapter in like six weeks, or am I going to push through and, and do this in one week? And I've decided that, like we did in Revelation, I'm going to try to move quickly through this, um, not because it doesn't deserve our time or our attention, um, but there's just an overall uh, direction of which we're headed, and in order to get there, we need to, to look at this briefly. And so there is so much that could be said in each one of these verses. 
but for time's sake, I'm going to have to continue to move forward. But what I want us to see here is that since we have faith, since we've been justified um, by faith, and since we have this faith, we've also obtained access into grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We can have hope. Remember how I said if we were to stop reading Romans after 3.23, then that would be a very negative place to stop for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That would be a very sad place to stop. But thankfully, he keeps writing. And what we find is, is that through faith, we have hope. We can have joy. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And so as we were singing those songs earlier, Jesus Saves, and as Kenny was singing that special for us, um, how many of you were grateful for the fact that Jesus saves? How many of you were grateful for the fact that we can have forgiveness? I don't know about you, but I need forgiveness because of the things that I have done in my life. And I think I'm a pretty good guy. I mean, as far as good old boy standards go, I think I'm all right. But how many, if, if we were to just put on paper all the ways that we have wronged people, not even counting God, just people, we wouldn't want people to see that list. We wouldn't want to see that list. We don't want to be reminded of the, the ways that we have failed in the past. And yet, in Christ, we have hope. Because he offers forgiveness. He offers salvation through faith. And so, verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. So not only do we rejoice in the hope that we have, not only do we rejoice in the fact that Jesus saves and, and that because of our faith in him, he offers us this hope in which we stand. Not only do we rejoice in God in that way, in the hope of God, we rejoice in our sufferings. Now, this is something that I and I'm sure many of you have a hard time doing. But we are to rejoice in our sufferings because not only does God use our salvation to bring him glory and to work it out for our good, but he uses our sufferings for his glory. And he can turn our sufferings into our good, into the good of others around us. Now, we might not see the fruit of that and the results of that immediately or even on this side of eternity, but we can trust God that he knows what he's doing and he's working it all together, as Romans 8 says. And so, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so in that suffering, look at what that suffering produces in us. Look at how it transforms us, how it changes us. You know, salvation comes in three parts. There's the justification where Christ forgives us. He makes us right with God. And we have been given that according to Romans chapter 5 if, if we put our faith in Christ, if we put our hope in him and, and he saves us, then we have that forgiveness. We have been made right with God. And that occurs in a moment. When that moment is, I'm not exactly sure. Some people uh, can tell exactly when that moment occurs and others, they just, 
as they look back, they realize, I have put my faith in Jesus. I am a follower of Jesus. I love him. I want it. I'm his. And so, um, but once salvation occurs in that way in justification, then God begins to make us into his image. He, over time, as we mature in him and as we grow closer to him, he makes us more and more like himself. And that is called sanctification. And then one day, as we looked at the last few weeks, one day um, we will not experience the effects of sin at all anymore. Now, this is going to be in eternity, not here presently, um, but we will get to be free of sin completely, not even just forgiven for our sins and not even made right with God and not transformed more into his image, but we will be, the transformation will be complete. And that's called glorification. And so in that, here we see that the middle part, the sanctification, that God can use our sufferings to make us more like him. He can make us into people of character. He can make us into people of hope. But he cannot do that without hardships. Most of us in here, if we're old enough, we can look back at our life and think of a time that was very difficult. And if that was far enough in the past... For most of us, we can see how God used that to change us for the better. Where we have to be careful is not allowing those things to change us for the worse, to make us more bitter or to drive us further from God. We have to let him transform us in this way. Verse 6, for while we were still weak, so remember, all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God, and in that fallen short status, in that sinful status, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still enemies of God, while we were, we might not have even known we were enemies of God, but because we had sinned and we had sinned against God, and because our sins led to a separation between us and God, and if you fast forward from the fall into the time when Jesus came, then our sins caused the death of his son on the cross because of those things and that separation that has occurred, we needed help. You know, the Bible teaches that none of us would willingly come to Jesus without his action, without his calling, without his work. Now, whether that work is through someone sharing the gospel with you, or as in Romans chapter 1, it says that he's made known, he makes himself known even through nature. Um, we have to come to a point in our lives where we see our need for God. And the Bible tells us that we can't come to that point without the mercy of God. We need God to even bring us to that point, to help us to show us our need for salvation. And while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for us. We were lost and desperate and headed away from God, headed away from the things that we desire and the things that we base our hope on and all of those things that we read. And at that time, Christ died for us. Now, 
a lot of us in here say we would die, you know, um, how many of y'all remember Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, that cinematic piece of art? Why are you chuckling at my adolescent um, memories? Okay, so uh, this was played by the great actor. Robin Hood was played by the great actor, Kevin Costner. Don't say otherwise, okay? And how many of you remember the Brian Adams song on the soundtrack? Anybody? Really? Only three of you? Let me sing it for you. No, I'm just playing. Um, but in that song, it's a, it's a great song. You should go listen to it if you like cheesy 90s songs. Um, but in that song, the, the singer is singing to his love, and he says, I would die for you. He's telling all these things that he would do, you know, just, just to get to, to be with her and all that. And, you know, we, we would, most of us say we would die for a righteous cause, right? But when the going gets tough, a lot of people run in the opposite direction. And I'm not blaming people for doing that, for trying to be safe. It's, it's just, I think it's part of how God has created us and, and our nature. Um, but if there's a really noble cause, then maybe we'll put ourselves in harm's way. And I realize that we have public servants who do this all the time, uh, police officers and others who put themselves in harm's way. Uh, but in this case, this is talking about someone who is willing to, to put their life on the line, Jesus, who's willing to, to give his life for people who might not even care for him, who might not ever love him, who might, in fact, deny him and hate him. And I, I don't believe that every person who, who doesn't believe in Jesus is just like outwardly angry at him or hateful toward him or, or anything like that. But I do believe that if, if, we, if we don't put our faith in Jesus, then we don't value him in the way he is to be valued. And yet, Jesus still died for us at the right time. When he died, none of you loved him. We weren't born yet. But none of you, none of us loved him. In fact, when Jesus died on the cross, he had very few followers. Even though he had preached to the masses, even though he had fed the 5,000, even though he had done miracle after miracle after miracle, those people just wanted to see him do this magic trick. This, it wasn't a magic trick, but that's the way they viewed it. They wanted to be blessed. They wanted to receive the blessings. They didn't love Jesus. They didn't follow him. And when it came time for his crucifixion, even those closest to him ran away. And he knew that was going to happen. And he still died for us. And that's love. That's love. And so, let's continue reading. Since therefore, I'm going to read verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. He will hold us fast 
If he died for us while we were his enemies, then think about what he will do for us now that we have a relationship with him. And so if, if you in here, if you have a relationship with God, think about how much he loves you. And you might say, well, if he loves me so much, why is this happening in my life? Well, let's just rewind a little bit, and let's just go back to the beginning of the chapter, and let's see how he is working our sufferings to produce in us such character and such hope and such good things. And I know I'm, I'm the first to admit that when I am suffering, this is not what I want to hear. My mom had this saying. I'm sure it's not original to her. It's a very popular saying, but when I was a kid and something was not going my way, she would say, it builds character. Anybody ever heard that, been told that? Now, I love my mom. She's amazing. Um, but I'm glad you don't have the opportunity to ask me how I felt about her in the moments when she said it built character because that's not what you want to hear, but it's true. It's true. God knows what he's doing. He knows how he's using the suffering in our lives to create us, to, to, to transform us into the people that he intends for us to be to give us the hope that we need in order to be the men and the women that we need to be for him. And so I just want to encourage you in that, that he knows what he's doing and that if, if he loved us so much to die for us while we were his enemies, then how much is he going to do for us now that we're his, now that we are made right with him by faith? And so my challenge to you this morning and we're about to finish the rest of this chapter. And the rest of this chapter basically focuses on one main thought. But as we continue to read, my challenge to you is if you have faith, thank God that at the right time he died for us. Thank God that while we were still sinners, he, he loved us anyway. And he died for us. And if you look around you and you see people who are are living their lives in ways that you might look down on or despise, well, guess what? At one time, we were all enemies of God. We were all separated from God. And so we're to love those people. We're, we're to try to draw them in. We're to try to share the faith that we have with them. And then it, it'll be up to them whether they choose to follow Jesus or not. And that's not in our hands. That's between them and God. And God will begin to do a work in people's lives, and he will begin to draw people, and they will respond to him in faith. And that's our prayers. And that's our hope. And so with that knowledge, with knowing that if we have a relationship with him, first of all, that he loved us enough to give us the relationship, but then if we have a relationship with him, then how much does he love us? How much more is he pouring out his love on us now? It just might not look like it, from our human perspectives, because when we look at things, we might see the hurt and the pain and the suffering, and we don't get to see the fruit. We don't get to see where it leads. We don't get to see how it transforms us. And yet, he does. He knows what he's doing. Verse 12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, okay, so there's another therefore. He's working his way through this thought process. He, ha he has a plan of where he's going, and he's getting there. He's writing this letter to them, and he is, he is making a point. And he has made some incredible points already, and he is getting to the crux of what he is saying. And, and here is part of it. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, he, 
he started a thought, and then like me, in the middle of it, he started expounding on that thought. And so this is a very long thought. So we will spend several verses just talking about what he's talking about here. But who is the one man through whom sin entered? Adam, right? If we were to go back to the beginning of the Bible, and we were to go to Genesis 3, then we would see that this man that God created, and this woman that he formed, that they chose to disobey him. God himself gave them a very specific command, do not do this, and what did they do? They did it. So they broke that command. And when Adam sinned, what we're going to see here in this long thought, in, in these verses, and what has been made evident already in Romans, is that when Adam sinned, sin entered the world, and we basically inherited it. And so we're born into sin, but then, all on our own, we all choose to sin also. And so, sin entered through one man, through Adam. All his descendants, which would be everyone, um, have sinned. For sin, verse 13, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Now, um, there's some disagreement on what this means and how to how this plays out but here's what we know it can't mean we can't it can't mean that there was not that no one had committed acts against God before the law because we see over and over again in the Bible for all have sinned and not just in in Romans but throughout we see the separation of God and man in 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 Genesis chapter 6 between Adam and Noah was their sin Yes, like incredibly, so much so that it said every thought and intention of every man was evil continuously in Genesis chapter 6. And so that it can't mean that there's no sin. So what, it, what, what it's saying is, is that there is no knowledge of sin, that God hasn't given the rule, so we don't know for certain that we've broken a rule. But how many of you, before you became a Christian, if it, maybe this isn't applicable to those of you who grew up in church or in a Christian home, but how many of you, before you were ever told anything about the Bible, you did wrong and you knew it was wrong? Yeah, a lot of us. And so sin in that form was definitely there. Verse 14, Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. And so Adam's transgression was he knowingly, God told him, do not do this, and he did it. And between Adam and Moses, for those of you who don't know, that, that God hadn't given the law yet, the Ten Commandments, but also other laws. And he hadn't given that, and yet death still reigned. And so how do we know that sin was there? Death still reigned. The wages of sin is death. Death is, is evidence of our need for God and, and our uh, need for his forgiveness and relationship with him. Yet death reigned over Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. I believe that that's just saying Adam had a rule and he broke it. The others didn't know the rules. Who was the type of the one who was to come? Verse 15. He's getting to his point now. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one's man, one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace 
of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And so if, if you think that death is powerful, you should see grace because death has nothing on grace. Death has nothing on forgiveness. If you think the effects of sin are negative, you should see the effects of grace. And that should excite us. And this, this woman that I got to talk to this week, um, she had been just convicted after she found that coin that I was telling you about with the Ten Commandments on it. She had just been convicted that she wasn't living her life right, but, but there wasn't the hope part. <laughs> and so I was able to tell her, yes, but let me tell you what I'm preaching on this week, that where sin is, grace is even better. And so if you put your faith in Jesus, if you follow Jesus, then yes, you have sinned. And yes, you are separated from God, but he can fix that. He can remedy that. How many of you are excited about the fact that grace is greater than sin? That what Jesus did, the second Adam, Jesus, was greater than what Adam did. Because yes, Adam sinned. And yes, Adam brought pain and suffering and, and all this that we find so unpleasant about life. Yes, Adam was the first to bring that in. But we can blame ourselves too because we all choose all by ourselves to do wrong all the time. And I'm not saying that all of our suffering is, is a, direct, a direct consequence of our wrongdoing, but it's a direct consequence of sin in general, and, a lot, and most of our suffering is a direct consequence of somebody's wrongdoing, someone's sin. And so, I got to look back up here. I forgot which verse I was on. 15, okay. I'm going to reread that. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Abounded. It's greater than the sin. Verse 16. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So Adam's result of his one choice was sin. The result of Jesus' one act is the fact that justification is brought, salvation is brought, that we can be forgiven. And it is a free gift. There's nothing we can do to earn it. It's free. Verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. I want you to think about the pain that you have experienced in life. I want you to think about the suffering that you have experienced. I want you to think, maybe some of you are sitting in here right now, and you can feel the weight of the world on you. You can feel the weight of the negative aspects of being alive and being connected to the, to the pain of sin. 
That's not a pleasant feeling. Think about the depths of, of how you have felt that. Think about the dark times in our lives. And again, maybe some of you, for, for some of you, that's right now. But think about just the emotion and the, the weight that went with that. Maybe it affected your health, your relationships. Think of that weight. And now, think about this. Whatever we felt, whatever the weight of that, the weight of God's glory is even greater. And the good experiences that we will have with Jesus for eternity far outweigh anything we have ever felt negatively on this side of eternity. And no matter the depths of sin, the depths of evil that we have seen displayed in in our lives and throughout history, no matter how deep it was, it cannot compare to what Jesus is doing and what he has done and what he will do for us. That is something to be excited about. I'm going to reread verse 17, so I want to make sure that we, we get this. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to the justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. So my question to you this morning is, are you part of the many who will be made righteous? Because it does not say that all will be made righteous. The many will be made righteous. Now, all who place their faith in him, all who truly become followers of him will be made righteous. But that's not what this is talking about. This is saying in all of humanity, in all that inherited Adam's sin, many will be made righteous. So my question to you this morning is, Are you a part of the many? Have you placed your faith in him? Because we know that sin entered the world through one man, and we know that all of us since him have have done wrong. And we know that that wrong is something that we will have to account for one day. And the question is, have we placed our faith in the one man who brought righteousness, in the one man who brings peace? Verse 20, now the law came in to increase the trespass. All that means is God gave us the law so we could see exactly how much we have been sinning. The law told us what we were doing wrong. It increased the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is nothing you have done that is too heavy for the grace of God to cover. There is nothing you have done that is too evil for Jesus to forgive. If we will go to him and ask him to forgive us and we are following him in faith that he has begun this work in our life of drawing us to himself and we respond in faith. If, if we are born again, if we are saved, then our sins will be covered. Our sins will be forgiven. And when Jesus was on that cross, that act of mercy, that act of love, 
on his part was greater than anything, any act we have done, can do, or will do. And so this morning, for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, let us praise him. Let us thank him for what he has done, that grace abounds even more. And when you sin, can God's grace cover that? Absolutely. Now, next week, spoiler alert, we're going to start chapter 6 with the question, what then? Should we sin even more so that we can show God's grace even more? Of course not. But we can rest in the hope of God. We can rest in the truth that he is willing to forgive anything if we come to him in faith. And as we transition to next week, we will look at he will forgive anything. But that doesn't mean we should take advantage of his grace and keep on sinning. And so this morning, if you have placed your faith in him, praise him for what he has done for you. Praise him for forgiving you of your sin. And this morning, as, as we look at our lives and we thank him for the grace that he has given us, let, let us evaluate our situation. Let us ask ourselves, is there sin in my life that I know of right now? And if there is, repent. Ask God to forgive you. Turn away from that. Stop doing that thing or start doing the thing that he wants you to do. And if you're in here this morning and you can't think of a sin that's in your life, ask God to search you and see if there's anything wicked inside of you and pray for those around you. Pray that God would convict our hearts, that he would help our church to feel the weight, to know the weight of the amazing gift that he has given us and the glory of what he has done for us. Help us to understand that so that we can live in a constant state of praise and rejoicing even in the midst of our sufferings. So pray for those around you. And if you're here this morning and you've never placed your faith in Jesus and, and you, you believe that, that this is something that God desires for you to do and you want to do that, then this morning you can ask him to save you. You can ask him to forgive you of your sins. And he is, he is able and he is willing to forgive us of anything that we have done. And so that's the invitation this morning. We're going to pray, and after our prayer, we will have a time of invitation where you can come forward. If, if you need to talk to me about salvation or about some other issue in your life or you just want me to pray for you, then please come forward and I will do that. Or if, if, if you want to grab someone else in here who you know better, who you trust to, to pray for you, then y'all can go into another room or step outside or whatever you need to do and talk and pray. Or maybe you just want to come to the altar and get on your knees or, or sit down in your seat where you are or get on your knees in your, at your pew. Whatever you want to do, you respond to God in whatever way he's leading you. Let us pray. Lord, we love you. And God, I just pray that this morning that you would make yourself so clear that your desires would be known and written on our hearts so that we could turn to you and follow you. Lord, your word has told us that many will be made righteous. God, your word tells us that you are able to forgive anything and that grace is greater than sin. And so this morning, I pray 
that we would turn to you, that you would save us, Lord, for those of us who don't already know you, that you would convict our hearts and draw us to you and we would become followers of Jesus this morning, that we would surrender everything at your feet, that we would not care about what the future holds, that we would just know we want you and that you would draw this morning and that we would come to you. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that as we live our lives, those of us who are believers, that as we live our lives, that we would try to please you as much as we can. Lord, not because we have to in order to be saved, but because you saved us even while we were still sinners. And because we love you and what you have done for us so much that we just want to honor you with our lives. And so God, help us this morning, convict us of our sins. Help us to turn away from our sins. Help us to repent. And help us to be all that you have created us to be. Lord, we love you. And we praise you this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's.